The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the fifth chapter. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. He implored him earnestly, he said together, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, who had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said together, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, Immediately he turned about in the crowd. He said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother? Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. He put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up. She began walking, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of our Lord. All right, so today's gospel lesson, two desperate people, they're moving towards Jesus. They're moving towards Him, and they're moving like to Him because nowhere else and in no one else's presence will they have another hope. He's the last hope. 
We are now in the sixth week of the season of Pentecost. It's what we would consider our game time as a church. For the earlier seasons, we were waiting for the Lord. He finally arrives. He's revealed to us in the Epiphany. We celebrate the revelation of Jesus. Then we have this season of preparation and confession. Then we have the season of Easter because death is defeated. And this Easter celebration and Pentecost, the Spirit comes. All this has been revealed. And now, church, it's time for us to play this game, to live this life and be the church. We are now, oh, look at the rain. Wow, this is good. You know, to be the church. Now, in, in this, what do the people of the children, and sometimes in the game, you, you can, life just happens, and sometimes it's not always easy. And so as we're going in our life as this church, what do the people in our church, and maybe churches around the world, what do they need to know about Jesus? As they're continuing this game, what do they need to remember about Jesus? And then in addition to that, to the world around us, the, maybe the folks that don't come to church very much and, or the ones that don't come to church at all and have never met or heard about Jesus, what is it that they could learn about Jesus that would be best for them? Well, for the same thing um, that the two desperate people in the gospel lesson needed and the same things that we need to hear, we get today. That in Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the sent one of God, Hope will be fulfilled. Now, I was thinking about what hope. That's just kind of some, what does hope mean? I mean, hope is fulfilled. Well, that's a nice little cliche almost, but what does hope mean? And think about it, because I think it's more important to us than we often want to give credit to. If you're to try to say today, and we're a small group, we get to talk like this, what does hope mean? How would you try to say what hope means to you? What would be some words that would come to your minds? What does hope mean? Like a positive desire? What else comes to mind? What does hope mean? Was that at the end? It's not the end. So it's a positive desire, but it's not. You're not. It's not over yet. Okay. So what else? What else is involved with the word hope? If you're trying to explain that to a child. What would you say hope is? Peace. Peace, peace and hope. What else? Potential. Potentials. It's going to be okay. That it's going to be okay. Like that. What else? What if you're trying to explain it? What words and and themes or something would come to your mind? Hope. Peace. What? Joy. I didn't. Joy. Joy. Okay. Anything else comes to mind when you're thinking about the idea of hope? How do you communicate it? This is my hope. So I was thinking that I went to the. So I went to. You know, you can Google, get the dictionary stuff out there going. This is what the internet or the computer science or computer answer is. Hope is a desire for something, a certain thing to happen. So it's not happened yet, it's future, but you're, you're, you're desiring it to happen. It's also linked to feeling. This is where it gets, uh, I guess, feeling and sensitive. I mean the same thing. There's a feeling involved. That something that you want, something that you desire, will happen. It hasn't happened, but you, you want this. You have a feeling that you want it to happen. And aligned with this is also words like expectation, right? Expectant that something will happen with hope. Aspiration is like you're rising up and you're wanting more than hope for that. Sometimes interchanged with the word hope is wish. You ever find you saying you can say, I hope for that or I wish for that? What's a wish? A wish is like something that might not ever happen. 
It's a little bit different than hope. Hope might be like, it will happen. The last word is this, and it's beautiful for us, is the idea of dream. When you think about the idea of hope, it's like a dream. It's something that hope and dream interchange. It's a neat look. So when you think about hope, how beautiful and how joyful it is when hope comes to life. Having risked having hope, because it is risky to have hope, because if you lose what you hope in, it hurts. I had phone calls with a lot of Arkansas Razorback baseball fans. <laughs> they risked having hope. They risked it. And it fell between three players. They watched it to dirt. They had it, right? Or then third, the fourth fastball in a row. See, he's going to hit it, guys, right? But they watched it. They risked having hope. So it's a risky thing, having hope. But to have hope fulfilled, wow, it changes people. They become optimistic. They become expectant and alive. Hope, having been fulfilled, means that they'll even risk having hope again. Because they weren't hurt by the broken hope. They had it fulfilled. They'll dry it again, right? So hope's kind of neat. But then how many times in your life that your hope in another person has been broken? How many times in our lives is hope about something that's tremendously important, of life and death importance, lost? And how do we guard and protect ourselves then going forward? So we don't have our hope broken and lost again. We just separate ourselves from people so we don't get wounded again. That we, we start getting pessimistic that it, nothing ever good is going to happen. I've been surrounded by farmers in the Midwest and it's always going to be a drought. It's always going to fail. It's always, they never risk having hope because they don't want to be disappointed and they've been disappointed a lot. They've lost things. So it's almost a way of life. They live hopeless. Because they're safe there and they're hopeless. Grumbling sometimes comes out of being hopeless. Complaining and small living. When you live without hope, you're living small. Hope. It is a topic that comes out of our gospel lesson today. And in Christ, we will be reminded powerfully that in Christ there is hope. And that's actually the only source of hope we have. Now to think about this man and where he's at in this story, this man who has a 12-year-old little girl, to help identify with that father, here's a story. His name was Charlie Whitman. He laid down this night with his favorite book. It was a picture Bible book, maybe about 30 pages worth of picture Bible book, not very big, and mostly pictures, not a lot of words. They are beautiful pictures from creation to the revelation and Jesus coming again. Beautiful. So he began with that first page in that first book and he went through and he turned every page and he savored every page until he got to the very last page and it was the end. On this night, like many nights before, he was not in a hurry, made sure he looked at the book. When he was finished, he closed it he blew a kiss to his mother. He blew a kiss to his father. He blew a kiss to his three older sisters. And at the last, he looked up and he blew a kiss to Jesus. Then he closed his eyes and he drifted off to sleep. 
Charlie woke up in heaven. He was only six years old. When dad and mom and I met to plan a funeral, they wanted me to watch a video of Charlie. They said to me, you've got to see him dancing. One look at this video and I could see why. What little Charlie did to the rhythm of this dance music can hardly be described in words. Um, He shook from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet. His hands were just all over there like bouncing. His head was swaying. His shoulders and hips were just wiggling. You got the impression that joy was coming to life in this boy's body through this music that he danced to. Oh, we laughed. The three of us laughed. And in the laughter, for just a moment, Charlie was with us. For just a moment, there was no leukemia, no syringes, no hospital beds, no blankets or chemotherapy. There was no headstone that we had to carve. There was no casket to pick out or grave to dig. There was just Charlie. And Charlie was living in the dance. But then the video stopped. So did the laughter. This mom and dad resumed their slow, oppressive walk through this valley of the shadow of death. I never forgot what the mom said. She said, (laughs) more than a baby boy died. My dream died. Can you feel it? Can you feel a battle with grief? Can you feel a battle with unlived tomorrows? With anger? With the question, why, Lord? Why a child, Lord? Why a young person, Lord? And hope being lost. Toward a crowd, a dad walked. This crowd is unnamed people in the story, and this man is walking a solitary, distinguished individual of a man. He walks. He is introduced in this story, which is rare for us. He is introduced by both his name and his stature. He is just not one of the crowd, but he is a respected, powerful synagogue leader. As one who is used to respect, he's earned it, and one who is used to results, Jairus. He's using his rank and his place in this world to part the crowd before him as he steps unhindered directly toward Jesus. Once he reaches Jesus, this distinguished leader of a man, he's transformed into nothing but a begging, broken, humbled, desperate father. He collapses at the feet of Jesus and he begs him repeatedly. This powerful man now at the feet of Jesus begs him, please come to my house, please. Save my little 12-year-old girl. I've heard you can do these things. Come with me, come to my house. 
This is my last and only hope in a moment. She's clinging to life if only by her fingertips. We do not have much time, please. And he's groveling at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is recognizing the love of this daddy towards his 12-year-old little girl. And so he begins to walk with him to the man's house. This walk with him to the house is echoing of all of heaven's move with Jesus because with love, the Father in heaven, and love in the Son, and love in the Holy Spirit, had Jesus take flesh and walk to us in humanity because he loved us and he knows knows that we need only the things that he can give in the hope in him only. So echoing all of heaven in Jesus, now we have Jesus walking with this man to his house. He walking through the house and the crowd is following. They're pressing in because as they go along the way, this person has a need and this person has a need and someone over here has a want and they're all trying to get something from Jesus, extract this last miracle that maybe he might dispense for the day. And they're pressing in on him and all of a sudden in this crowd moving towards Jairus' house, Jesus just stops. The urgent father can't be happy at the pause. His daughter is in desperate times. She's hanging on the edge of life and might not even last a minute longer. Time is of the essence. There's a sense of urgency in this moment. And now this guy has stopped. My daughter's just right there. We got to get over there. And Jesus stopped. And worse than that, he's talking to an unclean unnamed, unknown, miracle-stealing woman. Precious limited time is now passing by as he's talking to this person. No name in the Scriptures, just woman. Maybe he even thought of his time talking to her as a waste of time. Don't you see we have something more important to get to? That leads us to the woman. Twelve years. For every moment that that child had been alive, this woman had been suffering. Twelve years. For twelve years, she has been banned from public places, from worship, from contact with people, or anything considered clean. Because because she bleeds and she has this illness, she is called unclean. She is plagued. And with that disease, she is alone. She faces the disease alone, her future alone, and now even death alone. She's isolated, feeling as if maybe her absence from this world wouldn't even be noticed. If I went over there at the end of this day unhealed and I crawl into that little corner and I die, no one will even remember. They'll just wonder where the stenches come from and eventually drag me outside the city for the coyotes to eat. Loneliness was with her when she went to sleep at night, when she walked through the countryside day by day. Loneliness was with her when she was in an empty room or surrounded by the crowd of people. She was alone, valueless, unnamed person. This sick hemorrhaging woman has spent the entire lifetime again of that 12-year-old little girl consumed by her illness. She has been paying physicians. She didn't probably have much to begin with, but everything she has been paid out to people and they have not healed her. They've only made it worse. 12 years of treatment, costing her everything. And she has no hope, and now maybe she's at the end of her life too. Little wonder why this woman breaks the law 
with her anonymous, stealthy approach to the back of Jesus as he's walking through. She navigates through the crowd, hoping to remain unnoticed. The crowd of people pressing in on Jesus, and she's making her way closer and closer. And finally, she reaches out with her last, her last bit of hope. If I can only touch the edge of a rope. She reaches out. And immediately, immediately, she felt the healing power of God in her body. This nameless, faceless, discarded woman is healed. And Jesus knows it. Although the healed woman might have been content just to sneak away, never to bother Jesus with her presence, just have a beautiful life restored to her, Jesus won't let what happened go unannounced. Although the disciples are confused by Jesus' demanding questions, that he said, who touched me? The healed woman knows that Jesus is talking to her. The woman comes because Jesus says so. She comes with fear and trembling, falls at his feet, and begins to tell him her whole story, the whole truth. Well, sometime later in this, Jairus is still probably standing over here waiting. Come on, Lord. My daughter's right there, Lord, right? My daughter's bleeding out, and you're over here talking to this. Well, sure enough, news comes. From the house comes the runners. They find Jairus, and they announce loud enough that everybody hears, your little girl died. The father hears it. The crowd hears it. The disciples of Jesus hear it, and Jesus hears it. What they hear is, you're too late. Your little girl could hang on no longer. She's died. Now here's it. We have little idea of how crushing that news was to that desperate father. In that moment, hope was crushed evaporated like a drop of water in the hot, scorching desert wind. Gone. In that moment, in that place with that hope broken, Jesus speaks. He speaks sincerely but powerfully. He says, don't fear. Believe. Then Jesus takes him, basically, and he's going to continue his walk to the man's house, only this time they walk alone. He orders the crowd, you are not coming with me. Just him and three, the three that are always at the special places, and this father going into the house. By the time, he, by the time Jesus arrives, this house is filled with crying, grief-stricken people. They, they knew this 12-year-old little girl from the time she was born, the joy and delight of parents. They've watched her grow up. They've watched her illness. And now they're heartbroken because she's dead. And that, in the middle of that place, Jesus enters. That broken-hearted chaos. He takes the disciples and the mom and dad, even though they're laughing at him, because he told him she's just asleep. He dismisses them too. He takes them in and he takes the little girl by the hand. He says, little girl, I say, get up. Immediately, health and life is restored to her. Now some concluding thoughts of these stories. To the woman, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
be healed of your disease. Jesus called her out. He called her forward and he made everybody aware of what happened. Why? What's Jesus doing this for? Is it because he wants everybody to know that he did it? So this whole town and their place's hopelessness will know that, hey, at least this woman today got healed for some sort of a credit, maybe grandstand for the crowd. Probably not. That doesn't meet Jesus's style. There's a reason why Jesus called her forward. It's because he needed to complete the healing event. It was more than blood and an illness that caused the blood that needed to be healed. It's not enough that the disease affecting her body be healed, but her unclean curse, her curse of loneliness, her curse of being excluded and expelled from her family in the community, that begged for healing as well. He healed completely. He healed in every way that needed to be provided for that day. And so for the whole community to hear, he said, daughter, which is an effective uprising of a person, daughter, go in peace. He's telling everybody else, receive her in peace. You're healed. Everybody else, she's healed. Love on her again. Her healing was for both her personal, physical world, but her community world as well. And her hope and their hope was restored. And then to the parents with Jairus and, his, and, and, and the child's parents, he told them, I, I strictly order you don't tell anybody. No one's to know about this. In fact, he disguised it, saying, oh, she's just asleep. So someone might actually go on and say, oh, yeah, he didn't raise her from the dead. She was just asleep. They could discredit him later on. But why would Jesus want to take only the three and the parents in there and show them how he has the power over death? Pretty simple. Because if everybody out there saw him raise this little girl who was clearly dead from the dead, early in his mission, his fame and his reputation would have spread out so far and so fast that they would have wanted him dead in year one and put him on the cross in year one. And he had two more years worth of work going from town to town and village to village to talk to hundreds and thousands of people who needed his hope and his healing as well. He had work to do. And if they blew up his reputation here, they would cut short his time. And he couldn't go to the cross until that day, on that time, on that Passover. So he kept it quiet. Two desperate people find hope in Jesus on this day. When all of their hope had been exhausted in Jesus, their hope was restored. The same Jesus, the same synagogue remains for us, for us all. In their examples, we are given hope. As we remember this woman and this man and his as we remember these stories we can then be healed in ourselves we can have hope in the things that are of eternal consequences restored and empowered as we go forward that we can reach out and touch people with his love and his grace we could risk reaching again to jesus because we know that his love is bigger than our sin We can risk reaching out to Jesus knowing that he's preparing a place for us in all eternity. And yes, my body will die. That woman that was healed after 12 years, her body went to the dirt. That 12-year-old girl that was raised up again, her body went to the dirt eventually again. And they went back to their father. And Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. Just don't think of the short-term stuff. Think about eternity. And he has given us that assurance that he is the one who has prepared that place for us. 
We have that hope secured today because he is the Lord over the illness, over the disease of all the community, as well as death. He is the Lord of our life, and in him we have our hope. We can receive the peace, and we can be healed. Because if we've lost our hope, we need healing for that loss. And then when the time is right, church, tell people. There was a time when that family could tell. There was a time when that whole community can tell, and it was already fulfilled. The prophecy was fulfilled. It was time for us to be the church. In fact, he sends us at the end of his ministry, and he says, go and make disciples. That's each one of us. You, church, tell the people the truth. He has been revealed. God has been revealed in Jesus. God has revealed that He loves us. He reveals that He notices us. He hears us that we are never alone. More than a blanket on the outside of us, He is inside of us with His Spirit and with even the bread and the wine of the covenant. He has forgiven us and He prepares a place for us. And with Him we will always be That's a hope and a promise for us. Of all the hopes in the world to hold on to, hold on to that one. And then, let the rest of the world know about that hope. Tell our families. Tell our friends. Heck, tell a stranger when the opportunity presents. Because they probably need some hope in God too. Help us be that church, Father. Amen. We'll stand and we'll sing the hymn of the day.